Today's service is called Slave Servants and Sons. We're reading through Luke 15, the story of the prodigal son, and in this series, Slave Servants and Sons, we've been shifting our mindset and seeing ourselves differently. Our hope and our prayer is that we would shift our mindset and we would see ourselves differently. We would stop seeing ourselves as a slave or a servant and we would see ourselves as a son. The way you see yourself, the lens you look through life with determines not only how you see yourself, but also how you see others. Determines not only how you see others, but it determines how you treat others. And that's where we're going to go today. If you don't see yourself as loved and accepted and valued, if you don't recognize that your worth isn't in what you do, but that a huge price was paid to redeem you and cause you to move from being a slave and a servant to a son, if you don't understand that, if you don't get that on an intrinsic level, then you will spend your entire life searching for significance in multiple areas. For some people, this search for significance leads them to become workaholics, always trying to build a bigger business, always trying to do more, get promotions, develop their career. For some people, they'll continue to purchase bigger houses, faster cars, bigger boats, jet skis, aeroplanes, whatever it is, so that somebody else can look at you and think, wow, you're really cool. And so somehow you can get your validation and your value from somebody else's opinion of you. And here's the problem with that. When someone can validate you, they can also devalue you. If they can lift you up, you've given them the same power to put you down. And when you put people in that place, you elevate them to a position of God in your life. It's the danger when we start lifting people up and allowing them to make us feel good or bad about ourselves. It's a danger when we don't recognize that we're sons of the Most High God. For other people, they'll continue to have multiple partners, moving from relationship to relationship, always making somebody else responsible for the way they feel about themselves. For some, as we know, they'll retreat into drugs and alcohol to mask the pain and loneliness of not feeling like you measure up. And last week, we said all of these will come to one inescapable conclusion. We talked about the prodigal son, and we said ultimately all prodigal sons find themselves in a pig pen. They find themselves in a place they don't want to be, wishing they weren't there, wishing they could undo it. How many people have you met in life that said, I wish I never did such and such? Why did they do it? Because you're driven by this need to be valued and validated by somebody other than God. Why did you do it? Because you see yourself as somehow inferior to everybody else. And you find yourself in a pig pen, hungry, never satisfied, never full. But there's hope. And Jesus told the story of the prodigal son to establish hope in the ears and hearts of his hearers. He tells the story of the prodigal son to the Pharisees and the scribes who are saying, why do you eat with these sort of people? And he tells them the story that says, they may see themselves as slaves and servants, but God sees them as sons. And the whole parable is to draw them to a point where we can see ourselves the way God sees us. In fact, 
it culminates for me, or one of the culminations is found in Luke 15, 20. It says, so he returned home to his father, and while he was still a long way off, while he was still a long way off, his father saw him coming. Filled with love and compassion, he ran to his son and embraced him and kissed him. Our father runs to us. When we decide and we determine to come home, our Father doesn't just apathetically sit back and say, well, they've been gone a while. I'll let them come all the way up the driveway before I embrace them. They literally run to you to embrace you and to kiss you and to say, welcome home. And my prayer this morning for those in here and for those watching online is that prodigal sons would come home. I pray that prodigal sons would come home. And if you only knew how much your father loved you, you wouldn't wait in a pig pen. You would run back to your father's arms. It's not the end of the story. Not only did the father run to him, we're going to see a couple more things today. Not only did the father run to him, the father runs to him and then he restores him. We're going to pick it up in Luke 15 verse 22. But his father said to his servants, quick, Bring the finest robe in the house and put it on him and get a ring for his finger and sandals for his feet. No longer is this servant, this son, going to be dressed in the rags that he's been wearing in the pig pen. He's going to be given the finest robe in the house. I love that thought. Quick, quick, don't delay, don't dilly-dally. Quickly, go and get the best robe you can find and bring it to him. What's he saying? What's What's he trying to do? in the minds of the people who are listening to that story. If you've ever been to gym with me, you know that my shirts not only get a sweat about them, but they get a smell about them. Anyone know what I'm talking about? My my poor wife, she's come with me and we're driving home and she always makes me wind the window down when we're driving home. There's a certain eau de toilette that seems to emanate from my presence because of the moisture in my shirt and I want to take this for a minute and take that thought and boil it down because if you've been sitting in a pig pen for a number of weeks possibly months I don't care if it's only a few days you have got a certain smell about you haven't you have you ever been following I remember we had some uh, no names mentioned but it was Sam and his friends and um and we we followed the teenage boys into my hallway one day we got out of the car we came home from church and I kid you not the kids came through the garage, up the hallway and out to the back. And, and we sort of grabbed the stuff out of the car and we walked into the hallway. And I don't know whether you've ever had a teenage boy, but when you walk behind a teenage boy, even if they've been and gone, you know you're following a teenage boy. There's a certain smell that seems to linger longer than it should. Let me take this mindset because when you walk into the house, you go, poor, I know he's been here and I know what he's been doing. And the father says, I want you to get the finest robe and I want you to take this old, dirty, filthy rag off him and I want you to put the finest robe on him because I don't want any trace, any memory of where he's been to be defining where he's going to go. Can you hear that this morning? When you come to the Father, He doesn't sit there going, well, 
I'll give you a hug and I'll embrace you, but I'm going to wait for a while, see how you shape up. I'm going to remind you constantly of your faults and failings. I'm going to tell you every day, yeah, 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 you might be good now, but it wasn't that long ago you wished I was dead and you went and spent all my money. You're, you know, he doesn't do that. He says, not only do I want to change that, but I want to give him the finest rope. You know what? Let me read this scripture to you. It's found in 2 Corinthians 5.21. And it's talking about God, and it says, it's talking about Jesus Christ, for he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. That God clothes us in his righteousness. He takes our sin, he takes our shame, he takes our guilt, and he nails that to the cross through Jesus Christ. And then Jesus takes his righteousness and puts it on us. Do you know when God sees you, when you come home, God sees you as a son. Can I go, he smells you as a son as well. There's a certain fragrance that comes off you that once was sinful and shameful and now there's a smell of a son. There's something that comes around and you follow that person in and you just know that the son has been here. Are you following me this morning? I want you to get that because so many people think, well, God may forgive me, but he doesn't forget. When he took the robe off, he says, I'm not only forgiving, I'm also forgetting. I'm going to restore this boy. I'm going to reinstate him. Let me keep going this morning. The next thing he does, if we go back to Luke 15, verse 22 for me. Luke 15, verse 22. <clears throat> Luke 15, 22 says, I'll just read it. But the father said to his servants, quick, bring the finest robe in the house and put it on him. Get a ring for his finger and sandals for his feet. He doesn't just give him a robe. He puts a ring on his finger. Then pause for a minute because you go, yeah, yeah, he put a ring on his finger. So what? Rings are still today really significant. I don't know whether anyone has been to a wedding lately. But when you're at a wedding, the husband and the wife, the bride and the groom exchange symbols. And those symbols say we are going to come into a covenant and this covenant has no beginning and no end we are no longer two but we are one and we are going to be joined and there's no beginning and there's no end it's a covenant relationship that you're entering into do you know that comes from biblical times can i go on a little bit further when he was talking he's talking to pharisees and scribes who happen to be and this might blow your mind who happen to be jewish and jewish people have read jewish transcripts and read the jewish literature and they know the jewish bible and they read things like genesis and in Genesis 41, 42, they remember that when Joseph was made the second in charge of all of Egypt, the first thing Pharaoh did was took off his ring and put it on Joseph's finger. He was actually exalting him and lifting him up. Can you imagine when he says the father took the ring and put it on the son's finger? He's saying, I'm lifting my son back up to a place of family. I'm reinstating him. I will remember his wrongs no more. He's not only going to be, I'm not only running to him to love him, I'm not only restoring him, but I am reinstating him to a position of power and authority. In Esther chapter, let me just find it, 8 verse 2, Mordecai was given a ring by the king so that Mordecai could have the power to rewrite the laws and seal it with the signet ring of the king and send it out all through Jerusalem and Israel. Can you see this morning that when he, gave him a, when he gave him a ring, it's not just a chunk of metal that went on his finger, it had significance. And when God brings you back in, he doesn't just say you're a slave or a servant, he says you're a son and you're a joint heir with all that I have. I give you the rights and the 
responsibilities of ruling with me. I give you the power to make decisions with me. That messes with our heads. But I want to align myself with God and walk with his authority and walk with his power in such a way that he would trust me with the ring, that I could make decisions and guide and say, Lord, I want your kingdom to come and your will to be done. Let me give you another one. He says, the last thing he says in Luke 15, verse 22. Here we go. Luke 15, 22. But his father said to the servants, quick, bring the finest robe in the house, put it on him, get a ring for his finger and sandals for his feet. And when the prodigal son returned home, he returned home with no shoes. Shoes having a, a symbol and a sign that poverty is totally come upon you. You are extremely destitute. In fact, in Bible times, only slaves and servants didn't have shoes. Sons wore sandals on their feet. Therefore, when the father orders the shoes to be bought and placed on the prodigal's feet, I want to say he's also saying to him, that old walk, that old path is no longer yours. You're going to walk in a brand new direction. You're going to walk not as a servant, not as a slave, but as a son of me. Can you, can you see that this morning? Can you, can you see this story has so many layers of complexity and we read it and sometimes we get lost in it all and we just kind of go from the beginning and I say, we're going to preach on the prodigal son. You go, oh yeah, the boy went, came back, done. But there's so much more in this story and we need to slow it down and read it because he's telling you this story so that you can shift your mindset so that the Pharisees could stop looking at these people as being less than them and start going, man, this is what the Father feels towards us. I want you to take a minute this morning and remember why he's sharing this story. I want you to take a minute and remember why Jesus eats with sinners and tax collectors. I want you to think about it and think, man, I might have felt like I was a long way away, but God wants to call me home. And he wants to love me and run to me and embrace me and restore me and reinstate me. And that's the heritage for each and every one of us who are here today. That's the inheritance we can have. When you walk through these doors, when you make a decision in your heart to make Jesus Christ the Lord of your life, you're saying, Father, I'm leaving the pig pen behind and I'm coming home to you. And, and ultimately, our ultimate destination isn't even here. Ultimately we'll be connected and united with him in heaven for all eternity. But I want to say this morning, church, it, so many of us get stuck on these stumbling blocks, wondering how dad's going to feel. And you know, I've got another reason. I think one of the reasons is that sometimes before we're coming to the next part, we've, we've seen the son and we've seen the father, but there's three people in this story, isn't there? Well, we've seen the son, we've seen the father, we're all sitting here, we're like, yes, I can recognize I've been like the son. Yes, I can recognize my father's heart towards me is love and he wants good things for me. But you know what the problem is? Can I just boil this down a little bit? Because there's three people in this story and I think Jesus is making a point with the third person to the Pharisees and scribes. And, and if we take that today and we bring it over into our lives, I think he can make the same point with us today. Because sometimes, long before people see the father's heart, do you know who they meet? They meet the older brother. Let me read the story to you. It says, first of all, I'm just going to read it. It says in Luke 15, 25. Meanwhile, the older brother, the older son was in the fields working. When he returned home, he heard the music and the dancing in the house. 
And he asked one of the servants, what's going on? The servant said, your brother is back, he was told, and the father has killed the fatted calf, and we are celebrating because of his safe return. And the older brother was angry and wouldn't go in. His father came out and begged him. Again, can I just, we miss the minutiae of this story. We miss these small details in these stories. We, we overlook them as though they're trivial, but Jesus puts the older brother, he inserts the older brother into this story for a reason. And each of us today have to examine ourselves in light of this story and say, am I the son coming home? Am I expressing the father's heart or am I the older brother? He's so angry that he's willing to miss out on a party to somehow punish the older brother, the younger brother. Have you... Could you get that this morning? He's so ticked off that his brother's coming home that he's like, I'm not even going to go in and celebrate. And I'm staying outside. I'm going to stay out while everybody else goes in. Somebody said one time, I don't know who it was. You guys can Google it on your smartphones. But carrying an offence like that is like drinking poison and hoping the other person dies. He, he is the only one missing out. The brother's in the house. The servants are in the house. The father's in the house. They're having a whale of a time. They're partying because one sinner has turned back and come home. And this boy who was a slave and a servant has become a son again. And they're in there having a whale of a time. And the older brother's so offended by this that he won't even go in. Which makes us ask the question, why is he so offended? Well, it makes me ask that question. Oh, why do you think? Why do you think he was so offended? I wonder if we don't know. So let's imagine. Can we do that? Can we use our godly imagination, so to speak? I wonder if he was so offended because he was offended the way the son had treated his father. That, that would make sense, wouldn't it? Have you ever met somebody who's talked to somebody real nasty and, and you take on their offense for them? You know, you shouldn't talk to Beck like that. I'm going to take on her offence that she may or may not have. Anyone met those people? And, and, and do you know what I find is when you're offended on somebody else's behalf, that's the hardest offence to deal with because it's not yours. And I wonder if this older brother had been carrying this, who does he think he is talking to our dad like that? I wonder if he had carried it for so long that somehow it had strangely defined him and become a part of his nature. And now he just went through life being ticked off with this kid that had run away and talked to his father. So I wonder if that was... A, if anyone understand what I'm thinking? Like, I wonder if you, you've met people, haven't you, who have been so offended with someone for so long that somehow offence is part of their daily nature now. It's like if I hang on to this enough, if I really grip it tight enough, something good will come of it. Nothing good will come of this. I wonder if... I wonder if he just felt abandoned. One minute, he personally had a partner. He had a friend. He had a brother who was with him and, and doing stuff. And maybe they joked and they laughed in the field. And then all of a sudden, it was like the brother had just had enough and left. Anyone been deserted by a friend and felt offended by that? Anyone had a close relationship? One minute, you're playing cards and you're having meals together. And the next minute, they're not even talking to you anymore. They're ghosting you. That's a word on Facebook. They're ghosting you. I wonder if that's why resentment built. I wonder if resentment built up because he was doing twice the amount of work. 
you know, one minute, like we were all in this together and we were all working and then he left and now I've got to do everything. Can we just boil this down a little bit in church life? Do you know what I see? I see far too many older brothers. And I'm not here, by the way. Other churches. <laughs> I see far too many older brothers. You ready? And, and again, that's why I had to say not here because Malcolm and Tanya did an amazing job this morning. But I see far too many older brothers at the front door. I see far too many older brothers sitting in the pews. And instead of rejoicing that a son has come home, they're bitter that they've been doing all the work for too long themselves. You know, I can't believe I've got to do this. You don't know that I get up every Sunday and I come and do this and I do that. And me, 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 me. And I'm resentful and I'm bitter and I'm overwhelmed and I'm underappreciated and I've had enough. And you think you can walk through the door and just lift your hands and worship. You ever seen those? You can see it, can't you? It looks like they got baptized in lemon juice. They came to Jesus and they just sucked on a lemon and they're like, it's the other churches, I know. But it's, it's these people I want to talk about just for a minute. Because I think if we're really honest, we all have the propensity to become an older brother. We all have the propensity, if we're not careful, to allow offences to fester inside. We all have the propensity to be a little bit frustrated at the lack of effort they're putting in. You know, you ever done that? You, you ever kind of gone, man, you know, like, what does that Lisa do anyway? She just, you know, she just seems to turn up and she waves her hands and prances about on the stage and sings for a little bit. <laughs> Big deal. Just. And no one sees the hours of going to music practice. No one sees the hours of ticking things off in the CCLI. No one saw 12 years of, of writing out rosters and, and no one saw all the hard work of making sure the team was ready and no one saw the effort and the energy and the tears that were sown into it and they just see those few moments on a Sunday morning and I'm offended that she didn't do the song I wanted. You know, the truth is, church, we all have the propensity of becoming an older brother. And, and I want to, <laughs> I really like to kill him today. Is that good? Can we just, can we kill him today? Like, is this, this is more A, rhetorical, B, metaphorical, okay? So anyone watching online, we're not killing people. I don't want to see a YouTube clip of Pastor Phil saying, kill them, kill them, kill them. No, it's not who we are. Because I think the older brother lives inside each and every one of us. And, and that part of us that can harbor resentment and harbor offense and get frustrated at everybody else rather than celebrating the fact that a son is coming home, that part has to die. <laughs> For those watching online, I'm not sure if you can see the little bubba who just walked across the front and gave me a little wave, so. <laughs> but do you know what the older brother's problem really was? I'm going to read it to you. It's found in Luke 15, 29. Here's the older brother's real problem. He replied, all 
these years, I have what? Come on, say it together. All these years I have. Let's do it one more time. All these years I have. How did he see himself? All these years I've slaved for you. I've been doing it over and over again. All these years I've slaved for you. And when you slave, you build up resentment. When you slave, you get annoyed about your slave master. When you slave, you get annoyed that sons are coming home and inheriting things for nothing. When you slave, when you're flogging yourself, it doesn't take long before flogging yourself hurts so much that you start trying to find someone else to flog. That's why we have older brothers. Not because they're bad people, but because inherently they haven't seen themselves as sons. And they see themselves as older brothers who are slaving for the father's affection. And they can't, and it do, doesn't it like, see, again, I was the guy who really came to the Lord at 21 years old. And at 21 years old, I was a pig. When, when I say pig, can I just point this out? When I was a pig, I'm not going, oh, you know, I was a little bit of a pig. I mean, it's sort of more when I'm 50 and I look back and I realize just how piggy I actually was. Like living in the pig pen wasn't my idea. I was bringing them with me. Now, let me tell you something how bad I was. When we were first moving in together, my wife and I, I was still smoking. And my wife looked at me and she said that if I wanted to smoke, I could go outside and I could have a cigarette. When I say pig, I mean pig. I looked at her and, you know, we go, oh, are you a joker? I wasn't joking. I looked at her and I said, if you want fresh air, you go outside. This is my house and I'm smoking in here. When I say pig, I mean pig. I thought it was cool and a little bit funny if I could click my fingers when I ordered a cup of tea from her. I thought if I could just go, you know, oi, can you, can you get me a tea? That that would be okay. Well, when I say pig, I really mean pig. <laughs> and do you know how annoying it must have been if you'd been in church when you first met me for 30 years? Do you know how annoying it is? Actually... Man, I really want to call Beck and Sam and different people up because you know how annoying it is sometimes when you see people today with ripped jeans? You know how annoying it is when you see people on the stage with a tattoo? You know how annoying it is when you see a person with a beanie on their head? You know how annoying it is when, when I've been serving in my father's house and I've been slaving away for all these years and look at this person getting promoted onto the stage with ripped jeans and tattoos and beanies. Are you getting what I'm saying? And the problem is when we develop that mindset, when we allow it to come into us, not just here, this isn't this house, I know it's the other places. I actually will say that. I'm, I'm being cheeky, I'm being facetious. But you know, I literally met somebody and they talked to Jamie and I in the supermarket and they said, you know, I don't understand people who come in with tattoos and they start lifting their arms. I just feel like going and telling them to cover it up. I felt like sticking my hand out and saying, welcome, older brother. I'm glad you could come. Do you know the problem is that before sons can come home, older brothers need to deal with being older brothers and slaves and servants and start seeing themselves as sons. And older brothers need to die and realize that I'm a son. And look at what the fuck, can I just, is that cool? Can we, can we dig a little bit? I'm sorry, but I'm, I want to labor the point because 
I don't like older brothers, and I don't like the older brother that I see in me when I look in the mirror. I don't like the resentment that I have when I feel like I'm working harder than everybody else. I don't like the feelings that come up inside me when I realize that I was here at 8 o'clock and everybody else wandered on in at quarter to 10. I didn't really have those feelings. It's metaphorical and it's an illusion, my story. But yeah. Story's got so much going on, hasn't it? How you see yourself determines how you see others. How you see yourself determines how you treat others. The older brother saw himself as a slave and everyone was measured against his level of performance. I wonder, when you read this, I wonder, did the younger brother always feel like the older brother was superior? Is that why he left? Is that sometimes why people leave church? How many people have you talked to in the community who don't come to church And they say, I would go to church, but it's just such a warm, welcoming and inviting place, I don't want to go. (laughs) Anyone? How many people have heard the words critical, judgmental, hypocrites thrown into the same sentence when it comes to church? Why? Because they've met too many older brothers. And they need to start meeting the father's heart. What does that look like? Can Can we press? This is here now, okay, here. What does it look like? It it looks like when a new person comes to JC, we go out of our way to embrace them and say hello. We're we're COVID safe, so we don't embrace. Elbows or fist bumps only. It looks like we go out of our way to say hello to them and to care about who they are and where they're coming from and where they're at on their journey with their father. It looks like a bunch of people who are so full of the joy of the Lord because they know they're sons and they've got nothing to prove and nothing to slave to try and get father's affection. They just know who they are and all of a sudden they see another son coming home. Wouldn't that be the sort of church that the community would want to come to? Wouldn't that be the sort of church? What sort of church do you want to come to? What sort of a church do you want to make? Do you want to make one that shows the father's heart? of embracing and accepting and restoring and giving people a go even if they have ripped jeans. (laughs) Of giving Courtney a go even when she's not quite ready and she probably hasn't read the Bible from Genesis to Revelation and she probably can't quote all the Psalms in order. But we give her a go anyway because she's a daughter and a son of the Most High God and we are people who will give them a go and we'll reinstall them and we'll embrace them and we'll love them and we'll see their dignity established and their knowledge of who they are in Christ. Are we here to represent the Father's heart or are we more like the older brother? I wonder if this was the revelation Paul had after years and years of trying to be good enough as a Pharisee, trying to serve for the Father's affection. And he reaches a point where he knows that Christ has taken all of that and given him a robe of righteousness. And he's a son. And he writes to the church in Galatia, in Galatians 4 verse 7, Now, now, let me just say it, now, now you are no longer a slave, but God's own child. Since you're his child. I see the New Living Trans, uh, uh, New King James is up. It says, therefore, you're no longer a slave, but a son. 
And if a son, then you're an heir of God through Christ Jesus. And I want to finish this morning with saying, why do we, why do we want to live here? Why would we exclude ourselves from the party of the century instead of being the people that would embrace the prodigals who are coming home? I, I want to pray that this house would be a place for prodigals. But I, can I, I want to pray that my heart would, would be a place for prodigals. Thank you so much for joining us this morning. We really hope you guys enjoyed the service. We are praying for you and we hope you have an amazing week. See you next week.